Welcome to Good Christian People, an honest conversation between church leaders who recognize we're not perfect, we're barely good, but we want to be great. On today's episode, we sit down with Dr. Jeffrey Mann to discuss nonviolence, just war, and how to kick butt and take names to the glory of God as we conclude our series on Christians and violence. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Good Christian People, the podcast. Episode 42. 42. There it is. <laughs> he cracks up every single well, time. Well, because I, you said what language are we going to do. And I said English. English. I thought it was going to be a joke. Yeah. So, yep. all right. Well, that was that was the English 42. Yeah. Thanks Jackie for that. Robinson. Yeah. Oh, it makes me that. sad. I did. Oh. But because I knew that because of Chadwick Boseman, not because of a, <laughs> of not a because, movie. I knew not it because, because of a movie, not because of a sport. Baseball. Yeah. How are the Orioles doing? Orioles are uh, in first place for the first draft pick of the year. Oh, here you go. Look yeah. at that. Yeah, they're, they're I, going for the number one pick. All I know is that you posted a picture of your baby looking very unhappy at oh, the yeah. Orioles. Well, and we won too. So that, really? that's just, yeah, she was just mad just because she had to be there, I think. How many games have you taken her to? Three. How many times have they won when she's One. been there? Yeah, this is, last night was the first time. Okay. I was yep. I was hoping that maybe you just discovered that every time she goes, they win. No, she and well, that's she doesn't know that they won either because she's 11 months, but also yeah. uh, we only stayed to the fifth inning. So Okay. It's only so long you can stay with a baby and keep sure. them entertained. Did you think they were going to win oh, in the fifth inning? Yeah, they were up seven to two and we left. So. Okay. But right. no, I still thought that they would lose because that's just the way things are going. I remember one game that I went to year many years ago. I was a teenager, you I went believe. went to a baseball game once? I went to an Orioles game, hmm. and it was one. I don't remember who they were playing. I just remember that everybody left early because it and was... Left you? There. No, 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 no. I got. I was on the subway, and the friends we were with it's were still. The light rail, but yeah, still. whatever. And they were listening to the game, and Chris Hoyles got Eat up fresh, and hit a grand slam mm-hmm. in the bottom of the ninth to win the game. Then you stayed. No, we had left. Oh. We heard about it on the light rail. Yeah, subway. I think I remember you telling me that story, and and weirdly enough, that day you were at a baseball game, and weirdly enough, I was at the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. So I don't know how we traded bodies that That's night. That's weird. Yeah, That's super weird. Because uh, I remember standing at the light rail station after the BSO concert, like jumping up and down because I was listening to the game on my radio. All right. Yeah. Well, there's big sports news today. Is there? Yep. Okay. You heard Coach K is retiring? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a shame. Actually, <laughs> the thing is, uh, now we have to suffer through a year of his swan song. Yeah. Uh, you know, farewell, goodbye tour, where every yeah. single place he goes, people are going to feign that they like him and give him a you know, standing O a, and yeah, cry. jersey or something. Yeah. It's just, I, I quite honestly, uh, it's a good thing that Duke and Maryland don't play this year because he, <laughs> that would not be a farewell tour if right. he came by to College Park. Yeah, but please. good for you. Yeah. Enjoy entire retirement. I think he's been making like $20 million a year, so it'll be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, he's, he's earned it, I guess. And uh, we are now into June. Today is June 2nd. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers has not been traded yet. 
I'm mean, very excited. He doesn't want to be in Green Bay anymore. What are they going to have a disgruntled quarterback who doesn't want want to be in the smallest know. town in America? I don't know how this. No, the smallest town in America is Council Bluffs. Okay. Which apparently I had a listener write me. Apparently. And I won't say who because I don't want to get him in trouble too. Uh, I don't know exactly what the issue was, but some people are like, dude, how are you going to call the no such agency out like that? I don't know if that's the case in our last episode. Yeah. When we, yeah. So that's not the case, government. Everyone's good. So they, somebody called you and said, redact your statement? Well, just said, hey, dummy, did you not think this through before you said that? And I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> how about, the, per, how about the, the person with the security clearance that told you? Oh, yeah. His name is. Uh-huh. I'm just kidding. It was a female. Oh. I'm just kidding. It was a male. Oh. I'm just kidding. It was a female. See, now or, no one knows. Got it. No one knows. So are you going to ask me about any TV shows that I'm watching? Yes, I, I I have a lot to talk about, but I, you, I mean I know we have like because I'm actually prepared. I'm very excited. Okay, what did you watch? So there's this show, and and so you know me, I I love awkward comedy, no laugh track. Like okay, so, I yeah. would like when The Office came out 15 years ago. I mean, I was right. in. Like, yeah, I was, that, sure. that is my style. Yeah, we uh, had no even idea. More so, like the British, like total 100%. cringeworthy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a show. I, it's not out anymore. It had three, four seasons, I think, on Comedy Central called Nathan for You, and okay. it, it just if you have Hulu, like look it up. Yeah, um, Nathan for You is on Comedy Central. It's been uh, I think off the air for a few years. Um, it is. Uh, it's just a spoof show of this guy who was like a straight C student in business school. <laughs> okay, and he he basically has this satire. TV show that he goes to businesses to help them, you know, like okay. kind of like a restaurant, impossible hotel, yeah, impossible yeah, sure, or something. Sure, sure. But it's a satire where he goes in with the worst ideas of all time, straight faced. It's okay. It's so. Amazing. Are they in on it as well? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I mean, some of them, I'm like, all right, this is way too outlandish. Like okay. they've got to be in on it. But some of it, there, there's the. There's no way the other people are that good of actors. Like some of them are just they're struggling business owners, and are like I'll try anything at this point in time, and yeah. it just takes them down crazy trails. Didn't you turn me on to a show, An Idiot Abroad? Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. I don't remember. That, I don't remember if that was clean enough to no, recommend. No. But I just don't remember, watch it, everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was. I remember thinking it was very good. Yeah, it's, I'm it's, a big well, fan it's of Ricky Gervais and Stephen Marchant, Merchant. So I love him. Merchant, Marchant, Merchant, whatever. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, so yeah, you just you can you can tell whether it would be, and it's British TV, which has zero censorship. Ah, uh, true, yeah. So, so I haven't. I don't know what I've. I don't know if I've watched anything like on TV so much, but movies are for real. Back in, okay. I took AMC, my family. Hundred percent shut Cinemark. down. Shut down the uh, the stock market today. <sighs> AMC did. Did they really? Why? Because it was Reddit traders, just like GameStop. Oh, okay. Took AMC up through the roof. Thursday night, opening night, I took my family to see A Quiet Place 2. Fantastic. Better than the first? Even though it doesn't have your boyfriend, Krasinski? He does have him in here. Oh, really? Yeah. He comes back from the dead? No. Spoiler oh. alert. Uh, like you, know, you know how... Flashbacks. Like, it is. Yeah, they, so. You know how in the in, initial one, they're like day 185. It's the start of the movie or it, whatever. This was day one. This is a prequel. This is day... Well, no. It's like the first 10 minutes... Is a prequel. Sure. Well, the pre- it shows that in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. And then it picks up immediately where the first movie left off. And I will say it is, it doesn't have the emotional 
oomph. Although my 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 family did kind of talk me back into, yeah, maybe it is a little bit more emotionally significant. Does Emily Blunt die in this one? Spoiler alert: No, she oh. doesn't. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, that would be poetic, honestly. No, Emily Blunt should never die in any movie ever because they always need to be able to bring her back. I've I saw a movie where she died like three hundred times, just over and over and over. I cannot. Live, die, repeat. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow. That is one of the greatest movies that nobody ever saw. <laughs> That movie was fantastic. Did you see that movie, Josie? I didn't particularly care for it. Get out of here. Why? It wasn't sci-fi enough. It was so sci-fi. I don't know. It's just, I've seen that story done more than enough. Yeah. You've seen someone die repeat. Okay. Like Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. Yeah. It's Groundhog Day with attractive people and a better story. And it was funny. I, I You know what? I'm going to go on record. Edge of Tomorrow is better than Groundhog Day. False. Mm. No, yeah, uh, oh, I, that's a significant. There's another movie. Let's have, let's have Bill Murray on the next episode. Get him on here, and Josie. Uh, can you get can him you on call here? His people. You uh, seem to know everybody. No. All right. He's busy. You don't know that. Well, also, I'm also busy next week. Just to oh, let you know. Okay. Bill Murray shows up at the weirdest times. Just saying. Yeah, he shows up at weddings and things. So we saw Ed, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. We saw A Quiet Place too, which was phenomenal. But my wife does not enjoy scary movies. Yeah. at all mm-hmm. and so she was screaming and my theater. wife likes scary movies she talks a good game mm-hmm. like she said like she remembers like growing up watching kruger or the 13th or whatever yeah. but now yeah she's terrified of them so she'll say oh yeah i love scary movies and then the, within the first five minutes she's like all right that's it i'm done yep yeah. it's amazing what sound can do in a movie to scare you and even more what silence can do because you know, like they, the way they play with the sound in this one is even better than the first movie. Did Jim Halpert write this one? Yes, he did. He wrote both. Wrote them. and directed. Mm-hmm. And my family was like, "I can't wait for the third one." I'm like, "They don't need to do a third one." Like they have, they have resolved. Cash grab. They will. I hope not. You have to. But you know what? If they do after this, I would say he probably is going to do a fantastic movie. And literally the next night, we took them to see Cruella. And uh, that was yeah, I've heard that's good. That was very good. Best. I'm gonna go on record now and say best live action Disney movie. Okay, it was very very good. Cruella de Vil. Um, I did see. I think a couple weeks ago I mentioned that I hadn't yet seen Bill and Ted Three. I did yeah. see that. Um, what do you think? You know, I, it was kind of like Coming to America Two. It yeah. was just like there was no redeeming quality to it at all. But yeah. it was fun. It was, it was nostalgia. Fun. But the th- I, I literally the movie just abruptly ended. Like. Boom, and yeah. so then I'm fast forwarding through the credits to see if there was like, you know, uh, a tag at Post the end. Post credit, sure. And uh, there was, but it wasn't like it was nothing. And I thought, oh, all right, well, I guess that's over. Yeah. And it just ended. It was funny enough. Yeah. It was good. And I have to ask you, because I know we've we've joked about this on the show. Have you watched the Friends reunion on HBO? No. I did. It's okay. Congrats. It was it, it was a lot of fluff. There's a lot of stuff that didn't need to be in there. Sure. But it was good to see the cast back together again. And uh, thoughts and prayers to Matthew Perry. Homeboy is not well. He no. is not well. Like for real not well? Yeah, for real not for well. Internet rumor not well. No. I mean, when you watch him on the thing, you're like, oh, so this is horribly sad. Like, really? it's, it, Yeah. It's, I mean, he... he they they came out and they said, oh, he had had dental work right before that, which is why he was slurring and looked horrible and whatever. And I'm like, then what's been, how much dental work he's been having over the years? Because he, he, he does like those cameo things where you can pay him to say mm-hmm. hello to somebody. And I watched some of those and lots of slurring, mm-hmm. lots of... Mm. Yeah, it was, it was not great. And at one point, like the most... Well, Steve Perry hasn't been in Journey in a long time. <laughs> yeah. 
Friends was or, not. Which one? Which you're Matthew, Matthew Perry? Matthew Perry. Got it. Friends Should've was. Been Friends was a sitcom that I guess I just like was out of its time frame to yeah, be before probably sure. that Seinfeld the the one sitcom that I feel is timeless and will watch Coach all the time. Cosby Show no <laughs> uh, <laughs> Frasier I love Frasier I will watch Frasier Frasier is fantastic I I can't watch I can't watch the 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 predecessor to the, Cheers I can't watch Cheers sure. I can watch Frasier Frasier is genius mm. well Cheers is before our time yeah. Um, and Frasier, yeah, it's Frasier the spinoff. I guess we were kids. Yeah, when it came through, nineties, yeah. early nineties, mid nineties. Yeah. It was, but yeah, Jen, we've watched that a number of times through the whole series, a couple of times, and it is consistently it's uproarious. Also, it's really quotable too. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's just wine coolers and cocktails down here in the ninth circle of hell. <laughs> <laughs> Watch Nathan for you. Do you like cringe humor? Listening. Uh, no. No. Okay. Never mind. Nathan, I mean, yeah, it's for you. I, I like humor. So we okay. gotta find a show that all three of us can agree on. Impossible. I mean, Impossible. like we can agree on we can agree on like most of the old Thursday night lineup. Okay. Thirty Rock, yeah, Parks yeah. and Rec. Sure. Did you sure. like Community? Yeah. Did you like Community? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. All right, we're solved. Done. Well, or we could watch the uh, if you want to really hit every tangent of like good storytelling and baseball and sci-fi, we can watch the baseball episodes of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Get out of here. Yeah, they do Get episodes. They here. play a baseball game. It's great. I like the thank you for the the sound and the pantomiming so we know what a baseball sounds like mm. excellent we Very still good. need to get you just movie night to to get you to watch napoleon dynamite because there's no reason in the world that you should not have seen napoleon dynamite yet we've talked about this before i yeah. feel is napoleon dynamite it's not a christian movie um but no, it's they're more it's like mormon mormon yeah. yeah but i feel like that should be our next review but instead of reviewing it the movie is so short we should just have it on in the room and we talk through it yeah i'm sure and give our i'm sure uh, that'll get past the copyright people right no 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 no. like people won't hear the audio track they uh, will hear us talking Mr. about Science watching the movie theater is what we're going to be doing. telling people okay in three two one hit play and uh and is then podcast is there a mystery science theater podcast if not you really should start one i guarantee you there is there has well to but you really get into the legal issues but one of the movie one of the movie podcasts that i listen to they've done a um like a, a watch along kind of thing and they did it with tenant and they did it with another movie i don't remember what it was but <clears throat> you don't hear Tenet. You just hear them watching it and talking about it, which sounded kind of cool until it went on for a while. Well, I guess I you have to... Uh, yeah, I guess you would have to do that like Dark Side of the Moon or something. You'd have to press right. play when they press play. And that's what they did. Okay. That's what they did. And then you listen to them while you're watching the screen. Right. Sure. Yeah. That's an interesting... It's funny when you hear them go, oh, oh, look at him punch that. Oh, you know. I mean, they, they did more. You'd have to be real interesting, though. They I are. Mean, They're pretty really interesting. interesting. But they're also nerds, and I like listening to movie nerds talk. And they're very, they're very smart, and I'm not. Um, anyway, check out the Friends reunion because okay. you liked it because of the whole pivot. They they showed bloopers behind that. I, I mean, I wasn't a huge Friends person, so I mean, we I know th- we some of their iconic a, things, obviously. Yeah. But we ran through a couple of episodes where I would use the word pivot, and you would yell out. Pivot. Well, I mean, that's like uh, you know, I mean, that was that was a the a word of. A, a you know a generation yeah. not a generation but you know yeah it's, it's like it's like well yeah it's like that you Eat can my shorts you can know yada 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 without knowing seinfeld right i mean that's the kind right. of thing that came from seinfeld <laughs> i'm kidding you didn't know that because you didn't you, have I you ever watched Seinfeld? definitely didn't know that okay. i watched like the soup nazi episode like sure there's no, some episodes so you have to watch do you know yada 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 i 
I know it in the public vernacular, right. not, not from Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, sure. Like, I, yeah. I guess it came from the show. Anyway. Close talker. Big hands. Big hands. The dentist. Seidler. Yeah. Super okay. Nazi. Super Nazi's probably, like, that's, I think that's probably the number one in terms of. Like yada yada. In cultural, maybe yada yada. But I don't know that people know where yada 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 came from. If you know where yada 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 came from prior to three minutes ago, email us at goodchristianpod at gmail.com. Well, like, like it sounds like it came from like Larry David's kind of like Larry I hang out with my New York friends <laughs> kind of deal. Maybe that's exactly what Seinfeld is. That's, I know that's the show. Yeah. Larry David created. Yes. Yeah. That's that's what I'm saying. Oh, it, okay. it sounds like something. It sounds like he bought it from yeah. real life. Oh, okay. I'm sure he probably it was did. like a Yiddish. I'm pretty Yiddish sure phrase. all of their writing is just real life embellished. For what's sure. weird? You know what's weird to me is that show is like 20 years plus old. In terms of when they got started. Holds up. Well, no, I'm going to say, aside from Kramer, like all of the actors have aged very well. Yeah. I Like it's weird to me that as you get older, like they just all just. Well, Michael look. Richards isn't around much, but Julia, we drive just, uh, Jill and I remark quite often that she actually, we think she got kind of more beautiful as she grew older. Oh, like yeah. We watched oh, yeah. Seinfeld. I don't know if maybe it was just hair or whatever, but... For sure. I mean, she's a very nice-looking lady now, and I was like, you know, she's kind of... She's aged well. For very sure. much. Yeah. She was and, great. And my wife and I discussed that, okay? So just... Yeah. yeah. Oh, my wife and I. Sorry, cockeyed and parts and rec. Or no, um, Arrested Development. Yep. Yeah. Justice <laughs> is Blind. Yeah. That was a great episode. Arrested Development. Did you like Arrested Development? Yes. And you liked Arrested Development. Of course. That's our show. All right. That's my favorite show. Do we show need a show? We do. Okay. The okay. show needs a show. You know what we do need? A guest. A guest. A guest. Let's yeah. do it. All right. So here we go. Today, we are so honored to have with us the professor and department head of religious studies at Susquehanna University, the author of multiple books, including When Buddhists Attack, The Curious Relationship Between Zen and Martial Arts, and most recently, May I Kill, Just War, Nonviolence, and Civilian Self-Defense. And he has an incredible name. Guys, please welcome to the show, Dr. Jeffrey Mann. Dr. Mann, good to well, see you, sir. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, we're, we're so excited. Now, now when I say, oh, man, like, is, is that two ends or is that one end? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, man, I need to. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's so right. how often are you having these? Uh, th- this conversation? Is this something that, like pacifism and religion? Is this something <laughs> that you're dealing with? Uh, oh, I thought, you, I thought you were talking about Jeff's comment about, uh, oh, oh, man. man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I'm jumping right in. Oh, okay. Um, well, actually, uh, I, I started getting interested in this topic back when I was in high school. Okay. Um, I went to a Quaker high school, and uh, wow. uh, for those who don't know, uh, Quakers are pacifists. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't raised Quaker. I'm not Quaker. Um, but I remember having discussions about the ethics of violence um, and, and pacifism with the assistant headmaster of the school when I was taking a religion class. Yeah. So I've been, I've been interested in it for quite a while. How on the spectrum, how pacifist are the Quakers? I'm, I'm more uh, familiar with the Mennonite side, which is, I mean, nothing mm. upon nothing. So uh, are the Quakers the same way? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. The Quakers are, are pretty much hardcore pacifists. Okay. And it's wild that, that you kind of come from that background because I know we were just talking and getting geared up for this. We know you, or we've been introduced to you through uh, Josie, who knows you. And I asked him, I said, so how did you guys meet? And he threw like 19 letters at me. Uh, it was mm-hmm. like, is the I-O-G-K-F-D-A-B-C-A? And I was like, I uh, yep. slow that down. And uh, and he said, it's from karate. Uh, so And you're a fourth degree black belt. 
That's correct. Yeah. That is awesome. And so like, I want to, I want to start off with a very serious question. Um, how fast could you beat up Josiah? <laughs> could he, um, I, I know you could, I know you could whip us very quickly. Well, uh, I haven't seen Josiah in, in right? person in, in quite a while. Yeah. Um, it's been a long so time. I was looking on Facebook and he, I think he's a little bigger than he used to be when I, when I remember him. So, uh, uh, it, it might take a little longer. Right. All right. Yes. They so go harder they fall. in the wrong ways, though. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm back at the dojo in like two years, so it'd probably be a little bit faster if I had to guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So probably we could run, we could outrun him. So it might be, it might, sure. might be him that uh, you, you take down first. So that's, no, that's he, you come uh, extremely highly recommended. Um, Josiah was like, we need to get Dr. Mann on this. And I was like, well, you know him, like make the phone call. And uh, we're just so grateful that you would be willing to come on and have these conversations with us and work through some of these topics uh, because you are uh, literally an expert in this. Uh, you, 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 and also have literally written books on this. And so you've just been so gracious in giving us your time and being willing to field our questions, allowing us to kind of pretend we have any business talking to you and uh, work through some of these tough topics. And so thank you so much for Dr. Man. Uh, we'll see you later. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, it's, it's really a pleasure to be here. And I'm honored that you guys asked me to be part of your podcast. Appreciate I'm it, really yeah. happy to be here. I'm I'm very excited. So this is I, I wanted to do prep because you're whenever we have somebody that has the word doctor in front of their uh, as, as part of their title when they come onto the show, I want to do better research versus if it's just like you know Brandon. We just watch a whole bunch of movies with Brandon or Brianna. Like we don't even I don't, we do no prep. I stayed for at Holiday Inn Express last night, so I'm good to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I did. I, I so this is not pandering. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I researched. I actually picked up your book, May I Kill, and I've been working through it. Uh, I got it just before I left for vacation, so I haven't gone through the whole thing. But this is something else. Like I have, I'm really digging this book a lot. Um, you were, you were working us through some, some challenging topics and, and just in, in the, the stuff that I've been able to read so far, I'm like, man, I, I need to rethink some things, uh, and have been challenged in some way. And so that's what we're doing here today. We want to continue and conclude our series on Christians and violence. Uh, we have looked at violence and tension in different places in our culture. And now at the end of this, we kind of want to bring it back home to us and try to understand what is expected of us as a follower of Jesus. And, um, and so I wanted to kind of help get us started on this to kind of pick back up where we left off last week. And Dr. Mann, it'd be helpful to us if we kind of got a better idea of um, how to make sense of what we see Jesus doing and how we understand God-ordained violence, and then ultimately what that kind of means for us. And so last week we kind of, we dropped it it, it 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 trying our best to break down our interpretations of scriptural teaching, what we have seen through the life of Jesus and having him modeled in to, in order to get insight on the issues of violence. Um, and through his teachings, through his lifestyle, Jesus seems to adopt a pacifist approach on on the surface. But you wrote an article called Sorry Jesus Wasn't a Pacifist. And so I'd love to know like why why would that be? Where would you read that? Um, is there anything in the teachings and the life of Jesus that would condone a non-pacifist philosophy? Okay. Um well, let's uh let's get into this. And I, I did want to start off by saying that uh, there's a lot of disagreement sure. uh, among uh, among scholars, among uh, Christians, um, and this has been the case for 2,000 years on this sure. particular. So I'm I'm giving um, 
I'm, I'm giving my best effort to understand uh, the, the ethics of Jesus and, and uh, the moral expectations of Christians. And I, I recognize that people uh, are, might disagree with, with me on that, and that's fine. Just ask that they, you know, listen to the merits of the argument and then make their own decisions. And real, sure. real quick, I don't think we mentioned this. You're a professor of religious studies, but I think Joe had told us that you're also a Lutheran. Is that correct? You're a practicing Lutheran or would we off on Yes, that? I was I was raised in the Lutheran tradition. Okay. And uh, and um, I still, whether I like it or not, uh, I think very much like a Lutheran. OK, sure. all right. Very good. That'll just help our listeners background of, you know, your perspective. For OK, sure. yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so let's get uh, to the question of Jesus. I, I, I think there's a lot of people who, um, who, who look at the life and example of Jesus and say, aha, he's teaching uh, an ethic of nonviolence, right? Jesus taught uh, this new radical ethic of nonviolence, and we are to follow that. Um, and as, as you indicated, uh, I'm, uh, I'm skeptical about that. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that that's uh, the most accurate reading of Jesus. And so I want to start off and go through a, a number of things. I promise not to talk this long. Yeah, about the, today. And if you want to cut me off, uh, and, and uh, please go ahead. Um, so it seems to me that if we're going to start with Jesus, we have to take into account you know, uh, where he was, uh, who, who he was. Right? Jesus is a first century Jew. He, he's coming out of the Hebrew tradition. That's his culture. That's his religion. That's his ethics, um, and uh, that's his society. And so, um, to get a sense of what Jesus believed, we have to understand um, we have to understand Judaism uh, in the first century. And within that uh, within that worldview, um, violence uh, and even God ordained violence was the norm. Um, right? We, we uh, that the Old Testament uh, clearly shows us that while um, certain things like murder are forbidden. Um, Capital punishment is is the norm. Going to war against one's enemies is the norm. And so Jesus is coming out of that framework. And if that's the case, then it would seem to me that if we're going to talk about Jesus as teaching nonviolence or Jesus as a, as a pacifist, um, we're going to have the, the burden of proof is going to be on those who say that um, that that's the ethic that he was proclaiming. Right. Mm. Uh, it seems that if you're going to say he's teaching something different than everyone in his society believed, well, then then the burden of proof is, is to show that. So what is it that people look at, right? Why do people believe that Jesus um, uh, taught nonviolence? And, and I, I think there are two big things, and I'll try to rattle through these pretty quickly. We can talk about them in more depth if you'd like. So uh, one, of course, is, is the famous line from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other as well. Right. And so people are like, aha, that settles it. Um, but if you look at what actually is being said there, when Jesus uh, says, if someone strikes you on one cheek, the, the Greek word that's used there is rapizdo, which means uh, is, is a strike with an open hand. So really what Jesus is saying is, if someone slaps you, right, if someone slaps you across one cheek, uh, turn the other cheek, right? So this is not a, a context of, of self-defense, right? If someone slaps you, it's an assault on your honor. Mm. And, um, and so generally speaking, uh, if someone slaps you across the face, it's not a situation where you're fearful for your life or, uh, you know, uh, or you feel that you may be you know, in danger of, of, of being killed, um, but rather this is an assault on your honor. And we all know that when there's an assault on our honor, we can tend to get really hot under the collar and, right. and respond to extremely. And so the whole uh, turn the other cheek thing, um, if we understand what Jesus is saying, he's not saying if someone's going to hit you in the head with a crowbar, uh, just stand there and take it. And then if you're still standing, turn the other cheek. And Jesus wants you to duck, right? Um, <laughs> if someone's trying to take your head off, um, but if someone's just going to slap you, um, 
and, and it's not, you know, that, that's a different sort of context. So I think, you know, that one, um, that one line has to be placed in that context that way. Uh, I think the other major argument uh, that comes up for Jesus teaching nonviolence is his own example, right? So Jesus permits himself um, to be arrested. He permits himself to go forward with the trial and, and be executed without offering any resistance. And he gives this nonviolent uh, response um, to the, the people who come to, uh, to take him to his death. And that's certainly true. Um, but does that mean thereby that Jesus wants all people at all times to respond uh, nonviolently? And I, I don't think that necessarily follows. On the one hand, there's a number of things that Jesus models, uh, or excuse me, a number of things that Jesus does specifically that are then not required of all believers. So Jesus is celibate, right? But he's not thereby suggesting that all his followers should be celibate. Um, Jesus uh, at his trial doesn't offer a defense, um, but Christians aren't going to say, well, it's wrong to hire a defense attorney. You should be like Jesus. Sure. Right. So there's a lot of specifics that Jesus does um, that uh, others are not called uh, to follow him in his example that way. Um, and I, I think that, you know, why is it that Jesus um, responds nonviolently? Well, his whole, I mean, we, we could make, we could get into the rather tricky argument about, well, what if uh, Judas had not betrayed Jesus, right? What if he had not gone to his death? Would we still be in our sins, so on and so forth? But even aside from that, it seems pretty clear that Jesus sees himself with a particular mission and he doesn't, it, it's not about worldly authority. And so when worldly authorities come to take him away, um, he is not resisting because, as he says, that his kingdom is not of this world. If it was, he has the authority uh, um, as the son of God to to defend his rights. Um, but it's, since it's not a, a this worldly kingdom, then um, that's not what this is about. So I think you have Jesus responding nonviolently in a particular context, but it doesn't follow from that um, that everyone should respond nonviolently at all times. So just one quick example. Um, if I was protesting some issue here in my town and uh, the cops come and um, are not happy with that and they're, they're going to accuse me of breaking some law and they're going to uh, arrest me and take me away, I'm going to respond nonviolently, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to resist the authorities. Um, but that's not because I'm a pacifist. It would be because in that particular context, um, I don't believe I have the right to do that. And I think more good would uh, come from, from not responding uh, with any sort of violence. And on the flip side of this, I'll go through this really quickly, and then I promise I'll stop for a minute. You're good. Um, uh, is if you look at, at um, you know, if Jesus was really teaching an ethic of nonviolence, contrary to his culture and religion and background, you'd think he would have been pretty clear about it somewhere, right? right? But he says he's come, you know, uh, not, to, not to overthrow the law. And if you look at his interactions with people, when he has the interaction with the centurion whose faith amazes him, Right? He doesn't say, oh, and by the way, you know, I'm going to heal your servant and you really need to get a new job. Right? <laughs> um, he, uh, he, he praises the centurion, doesn't say anything about his line of work. Um, and when uh, Jesus is arrested and Peter, right, Peter takes out his sword and, and, and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. Um, and Jesus' reaction uh, at that time uh, is, you know, that's not what we're doing. That's not what this is about. But sometimes we don't stop to ask, wait, what was Peter doing with a sword? Right. Jesus doesn't say, wait, 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 where in Gehenna did you get that sword? Right. So Jesus must have known that Peter was carrying around a sword the entire time. Hmm. Um, and then there's also the, the point, And I, I can't remember exactly where this is um, when uh, he says, Jesus says, you know, there's going to be a time um, that things are going to be different. And his disciples say, well, we've got two swords. Right. right. And 
they re- recall his reaction. His reaction is, that's enough. He doesn't say, you know, no, don't have swords, get rid of those, right? Um, beat them into plowshares, right? He doesn't say anything like that. So why did the disciples have swords, right? Well, they were living in a dangerous world. And if you're traveling around a lot, it might make sense to have some security, uh, a method of self-defense. So Jesus seems aware that his followers are carrying swords. And so if he was teaching a radical ethic of, of nonviolence that one should never respond violently, you think he would have got his disciples to, to get rid of those things, um, or at least at, at some point have told them that this is not acceptable, but we don't have that uh, in the case at all. Um, he, he seems to take it for granted that they're going to be carrying weapons to protect themselves. Yeah, that's a really interesting approach, to, to because I think so often we look at the teachings of Jesus as people— 2000 years later and going, we need Jesus to speak on every issue so that we understand culturally how we're to live in this moment, not taking into account. This is Mm -hmm. the culture that Jesus was already living in and sort Mm -hmm. of remaining silent on it. I'm not going to say is, is it a full throated endorsement, but it's not speaking out against something that is currently ongoing and was ongoing during his time. And that's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really an interesting uh, way to go about understanding that. And uh, that context is really helpful to kind of, to kind of process. And so I, I think, yeah, I, I would be on board based just on that by saying that certainly Jesus is not advocating necessarily, you talked about a radical position of nonviolence. Um, but then how do we make sense? Um, maybe that tension has relaxed a little bit, uh, You know, because the thing that we discussed last week is that there does seem to be a tension between Jesus's teaching and and lifestyle in the New Testament about turning Mm -hmm. the other cheek and uh, loving your neighbors and praying for those who persecute you versus the God of the Old Testament who says, "Okay, you see those people. I want you to go completely annihilate them. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so I think. There's less of a tension there, understanding that maybe Jesus is not saying, no, nonviolence is not exactly what we're supposed to do. But I think I would argue that understanding the way that God has created the world, violence was not something that was initially a part of the plan. Um, Mm -hmm. And so where then or how then do we make sense of what we see God ordained violence, uh, you know, with against Israel's enemies with the message of Jesus and particularly, you know, also when we look at the historical perspective of the church and how the church has participated in holy wars, you know, with the message mm-hmm. of Jesus, um, you know, is there a way to kind of look at that? And, and as we talked about last week, we understand that if God says our position is, if God says something is good and do it, uh, then that's holy and righteous, even if it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. to us. But how do we make sense of this kind of God ordained violence that we see, particularly in the old Testament? Yeah, I mean, that that's a really tough question. And, and if you're hoping I was going to have a, a quick solution <laughs> to that issue that people have been struggling with for millennia, at least two millennia, well, two millennia. Yeah. Well, we were um, hoping you but, could do it in two minutes. If you could yeah, just, I'm going to yeah. let you down. Right. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a real tension. I, I think that some of what can make it a, a little bit clearer is who the audience is, right? Mm. So when, um, when you have in the Old Testament, God spelling out rules and regulations, a lot of this, this is for the nation of Israel, right? So right. you as a nation, this is how you're going to conduct yourself. Um, and whether it's taxes or farming and all, and, and how to cons- you know, create a government and such, um, then uh, and penalty for, penalties for crimes and so on. These are instructions to a, a government, right? A nation state, uh, in a manner of speaking. 
Whereas in the New Testament, you have Jesus talking to his disciples, right? Sure. Um, so they're sitting on the mountain and Jesus has got his followers who are, are not in a position of, of governmental authority. And he's like, hey, here's how you need to live your life. So there, there is a difference between God setting up rules for a nation um, and, and, uh, and Jesus speaking to individuals about how they should live their lives as individuals. And so I think that that needs to be plugged into the equation. Um, but yeah, the Old Testament is, is full of, of a great deal of, of, of dark stories, right? There, yeah. There's a lot that's going on that, that's very difficult to, to deal with. And some of these, um, some of the darkness is uh, individuals' own decisions, right? Um, where it's, it's, you know, holy men of God doing things that might or might not be right, and they're not being judged, they're just described. But you do have God um, commanding a lot of violence. And, and one of the things that... that I don't understand this. If you can figure this out, let me know at some point. <laughs> some of the stories that we tell children and we like the most are some really dark stories. Sure. Like, you know, when my kids were little, um, they had the, the plastic Noah and Mrs. Noah, and there were two lions and two toucans and two giraffes, right? And they play with that with the little ark. I mean, that's a story about almost all of life on earth being wiped out right. and all of humanity drowning, right? And all the animals drowning. Um, it's a dark story. And yeah. then we, our kids who built the ark no and they sing songs about it right. and uh, and the story of jericho which is also another one right so uh after they conquer jericho um they Plunder. sacrifice the entire city right? yeah. it's a practice that in hebrew is called harem right where you or consecration to destruction the whole city becomes like one big sacrifice to god and men women children animals wiped out um and uh whether you know to what extent god is commanding that might be debated but God, you know, is ordering a lot of violence. And yeah. we sing, you know, uh, we sing songs about Jacob and, uh, excuse, um, excuse me, um, uh, about Joshua, walking. Yeah. Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. Yeah, yeah, yeah Joshua in yeah, the Battle yeah. of Jericho. Um, and so, uh, and, and I learned these as a kid. So why <laughs> is it that we take these really violent stories and, and teach them to kids? I don't know. If you figure that out, let me know. But, but the point is that <laughs> you have a lot of just really brutal violence in the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, and some of it is commanded by God. Um, now, again, some of this is because when you're running a nation, when you're running a country and, uh, you know, you've got people around you who are trying to kill you. Well, that's a different world than if you're a fisherman trying to get along with your neighbors. Um, and so, uh, but I don't have the answers on that one. The people are going to be continue to struggle with that. Sure. Well, I was looking at, and kind of prepping for this. I was looking at um, some articles and, and some authors were basically saying the people that were uh, – that were being sacrificed to God, you know, as an act of worship and, and, and being destroyed, that those people were, were those who were rejecting God's divine rules, that he had set up a nation state. And it, and then some of these smaller nations said, Hey, listen, we'll kind of make a deal with you. Don't wipe us out. Uh, but we'll just kind of, you know, in, in, in Israel was saying, you know, you've, you've got to be our slave. You have to become under, you know, under us and buy into what we're believing. And if you don't do that, then we're just going to completely wipe you out. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I guess what I'm saying is, I guess what I'm looking at now is it sort of feels like as a Christian in the year in 2021, it would seem wrong to me to tell. And, and of course I, I you know, I understand the difference between Israel, the nation and really the, the kingdom of God at this point. Um, mm-hmm. but, but to tell people, Hey, listen, we're going to go and enact this kind of justice and violence against mm-hmm. people who haven't subscribed to God's divine law. 
um, mm-hmm. that would seem, I mean, would that be correct that that would not be a moral right or at least a moral good idea to go say those people over there who don't believe the same way you do, it is time mm-hmm. to go wipe them out and offer them to Jesus. I think it's a matter of timing too. I mean, that's, yeah. that is the gospel. We were actually just talking about this earlier that God is not neutral towards anyone. There's either slaughter or salvation. That's, uh, that's, that's Christian doctrine and it's, and it's uh, orthodoxy, heaven or hell, right? Um, it's a matter of, and it's all hinging on man's free will of, are you going to acknowledge your sinfulness, acknowledge your depravity, and then place your, you know, if you place your, your life in the arms of the creator, then there is salvation. Otherwise there's slaughter. And so there's either slaughter on the other side of death Mm -hmm. or there's slaughter here. There's not really much of a difference. I mean, it's not really much of a difference. It's, it's, there, there is no neutrality um, yeah. when it comes and, and that's the infinite God that a finite brain is, has a hard time grasping. And so I'm not saying I understand it, but it's, um, I'm at least able to hold on to the, the, the vast darkness and, uh, you know, violence of the old Testament, knowing that, I mean, God is God's sitting outside of time, interacting inside of time from time to time, if we can hold on to that. But um, is, 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 there's, there's two roads. There's two roads. And you're either going to die now or you're going to die later if you're not going to turn, right? Turn or burn is the, 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 the pulpit of yesteryear, um, I don't, which, which is harsh. It's harsh. Um, but as you mentioned, if that's the way of God, then then we have to say, okay, then we'll bow to that holiness. I, yeah. I don't know. That's I mean, that's that's how I kind of try to justify it. But we're not here to listen to me anyway. Well, so. I, no, but I mean, I think you hit on something, which is yes, at some point we're all going to bow the knee to Jesus, right? And and if you do, you know, before He mandates it, then yeah, you're going to be all right. But I guess the question would be, what's to stop us now from saying, well, in the Old Testament? God told his people, go and wipe out those nations who don't believe in me. And, and, but why would we not do that? Is that a valid question? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the challenges, and um, I, I talk about this in my uh, classes with Islam um, is differentiating um, a, a political kingdom from a religion. Sure, so sure. Yeah. when you have, when you have the Israelites wiping out the people of Jericho, for example, um, is that being, to what extent is that being done for religious reasons that, you know, you are not the people of God. And so you have to go. Um, and to what degree is this um, uh, a, a, a political thing that, well, look, we need to get rid of all of you. Otherwise your children or grandchildren may rise up against us. Mm-hmm. So the, the practice of the Israelites, um, this, this practice of harem, uh, this was practiced by other p- cultures at that time as well. So the people of Moab uh, had done the same thing to the Israelites at times. And so I don't, I, I don't claim to, to fully understand this, but I think some of it may be, you know, look, they're living at a different time where you, you don't just go to war um, necessarily. And then after you take over city, allow you, members of the enemy to remain, mm. right? Um, uh, because that's dangerous. And so it's, it's better for the long-term survival of your own group, your own tribe, your own nation, if you just eliminate them completely. Uh, And uh, I I think that we weren't planning to go down this road, I don't think, but I think it ties in. It's like the death penalty, right? Death penalties has to do with violence and it may be a certain parallel. So in the old Testament, you clearly have uh, God saying, if you commit these crimes then you get the death penalty now does, and that was the rule for the nation of Israel. Does that apply at all times? 
right? Does the death penalty apply? Well, obviously the specifics we don't apply uh, anymore, but does that mean we in the United States should have the death penalty today? Well, you know, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, you can't just sentence someone to life in prison, right? You don't just ship them off to the penitentiary because there's no penitentiary, right? Yeah. And so if you have a dangerous person who commits a crime, uh, you, you can't just take care of them for the rest of their life in prison. That's not an option. And so execution makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but in our society, we have the resources to put someone in prison for the rest of their life. So does it follow that because God approved of uh, the death penalty in the Old Testament that therefore we should always have the death penalty. Well, not necessarily. Uh, they, we have resources that they didn't have at that time. Sure. Uh, so it's, I don't know if the, the moral, I don't think the moral rule necessarily has changed, but the context uh, and options have changed. Well, yeah, because I, I mean, all right, so we are, the, the the old covenant has been fulfilled in Christ is his teaching. So the old covenant is fulfilled, the new has come, and now he has kind of removed the, as you're mentioning, the, the, the political and nation state that is together. We, you know, on, in this century, we think of Israel as Israel, but Israel is not Israel is, you know, Israel is that's old covenant Israel. And so Jesus ushers in the global kingdom of his followers, as opposed to those who are under old covenant law, old covenant law is one thing. And, and it should be followed if you're under the old covenant, but if you're not any longer, then Christ brings in new laws, a new, you know, a, a totally different subset of um, a way of living. Now, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 13, he honors government and saying that they are the, you know, yeah. the, they are used by God to enact justice and all of these different things. And so God still honors nation states to do mm-hmm. things that are necessary to make the world go around. Um, but I guess it, the, the question is then from, from a, a, a Christian, like, what is our role in that, right? Are we, so do we say, okay, thank you government for doing what you need to do. But I personally, personally, a member of the kingdom, not a member of, you know, the state X, Y, or Z, you know, I have mm-hmm. a different way of living. So the government can do what the government's going to do. I have a saying, Dr. Man, Babylon's going to be Babylon. I, I believe, you know, we're as a, as a, I, that's, that's my personal belief that we are mm-hmm. like the remnant in Babylon right now. And, you know, a lot of people see the United States as Israel, which I completely reject, you know, as God's holy arm in the world. But that's just my personal perspective. And so Babylon's going to do what Babylon's going to do. Um, but what is my personal responsibility in it? I don't know that I, know well enough to say yes death penalty or no death penalty that's what mm-hmm. needs to happen I, I think that's kind of a let babylon be babylon but i don't know who am i that's tough i have no idea um and i but i, I think you've really kind of landed on something dr man in terms of trying to figure out how we as christians are to to navigate things like this that historically may have been part of our history or you know our broad history as the people of God, but understanding that, that some of those things might have changed throughout time and still reconciling and using Jesus's life and words as a, as a model, sure. um, mm-hmm. for, for that. And you've, you hit on something and, and I, I know we, we've talked about, you talked about the political or, you know, the nation, um, government that was, was carrying some of these things out. And I want us to talk in, in just a couple minutes about, kind of how we apply it as the people of God, how we are to live regardless of what Babylon is going to do. But in your book, uh, May I Kill, the your most recent one, 
you have a whole section on just war theory uh, mm-hmm. that kind of breaks it all down. Um, I'm loving it. It really is just making me understand this so much better in terms of what the principles are. Um, this is something that I think we can throw around. It's in our vernacular. Vernacular, We understand it. Uh, we understand that there is a concept out there, but we don't really understand what that looks like and what it is. And so I wanted to ask, I know you're the professor, we're the students today. Would you mind kind of just helping us understand uh, just kind of a broad view of what just war theory is? Sure. So just war theory um, is a, a an ethical approach to deciding um, when it is morally justified to go to war and what sort of conduct within war is morally acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got some you know, ancient pagan roots in, in, in Greek philosophers. Uh, it, it gets, the, the term gets used for the first time by St. Augustine, the, the mm-hmm. North African um, uh, bishop, um, was born in 354, dies in 430. So he's writing this in the, in the early 5th century. And he's the first one to use this phrase, just war, um, and develop the idea that, uh, and to start developing this idea that there are times that war, uh, going to war is a morally good thing to do, the right thing to do. Right. Um, and then this gets developed uh, much more clearly by Thomas Aquinas, uh, the, the Roman Catholic uh, theologian in the 13th century. And so um, at that time, they start off more with the requirements of, go- of going into war. So when are you justified to, to go to war? And um, the, the classic formulation of this, uh, of just war theory, says there's three requirements. One, you have to have proper authority, right? So you and I can't declare war, right? Because you and I don't have proper authority, right? Um, the king is proper authority, the emperor, the president of the United States, right? So you have to have proper authority, not just some random person. Um, uh, well, yeah. Um, the second requirement then is um, that it has to be done for a just cause, right? There, you, you, you can only go to war if your cause is just. And then, then there's a lot of discussions about what is just. But as an example, if one nation invades your nation, that's a just, and you're defending your nation, that would be a just cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third requirement uh, is then uh, good intention, right? Where your intention in going to war has to be good, uh, ultimately to create more peace in the world, right? Your, your, your intention is not, let's go to war against them so we can take their land, even though, you know, they, they conquered us and we don't have to go to war with, or excuse me, they invaded our boundaries. We don't have to go to war with them, but we want to control their, their territory. That would not be good intention, right? Um, and I'll, I'll give you one quick example to, to make it a little more uh, uh, familiar to people. So when we... Well, both uh, the Gulf War and the Iraq War, there were people who said, we went there uh, for oil, right? So maybe the American government had proper authority. Maybe there was just cause when Iraq invaded Kuwait. But if the intention was, all right, let's go there so we can get their oil, that would not be good intention. And we would, therefore, it would not be a just war. Now, whether that's true or not, we're not going to get into. But um, if it was just just stepping up and and fighting for the Kuwaitis people, then that would be just, is what you're saying, with good intention. Correct, yeah. The intention is we're defending an ally who was uh, wrongfully attacked, and that would be a good intention. If our intention was to get oil, that would be a bad intention. Okay, so you get these three basic requirements um, uh, to go to war. And then later they start developing more uh, the rules for conduct within war. So once you go to war, there's rules. Um, and so uh, one is discrimination, right? You you uh, you should be targeting uh, enemy combatants. You should not intentionally target civilians, for example. Um, another is proportionality, that your military response should be in proportion to the attack, right? So if, if, uh, if, if terrorists that are allied with some country in the Middle East commit some atrocity in the U.S., the U.S. might be able to respond, but we can't just 
bomb them back into the stone age, right? Um, that would not be proportional. Um, and then finally, do care, right? Which is as you're engaged in this, you should take due care to, uh, um, to, to remember that you're dealing with other human beings but the, and, and think about the effect this is having both on combatants and non-combatants. Right, that it, that it should become uh, as much as possible. It should be conducted with as much uh, mercy as possible. Um, and so, certain types of uh, attacks would be uh, prohibited. Um, so like when we have, uh, oh, I don't remember the names of these. When we have discussions about whether um, are they called tumblers, right? When there is yeah. a type of ammunition, um, and I think in M16 that when they would hit a person, they would tumble through the body and, and just wreak havoc on a human body. Mm-hmm. And some people said that's not necessary, right? Yeah. Um, that's just uh, that's just needlessly destructive of enemy combatants. Yeah. And so that would be a violation, arguably, then of due care. So, so anyway, the, 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 the quick overview is in the classic formulation, you got three requirements for going to war and three requirements within war um, for uh, a war to be considered just. So it, academically, would the proportionality um, requirement within war, would that would most people academically would say the bombs in Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki that they were not proportionate? Just. <laughs> well, that depends on who you ask. If you get into sure. the, I, I've thought about those, uh, those bombings a lot over the years. Um, I, I think if we're looking at uh, the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, one would be one concern would be discrimination, right? Mm-hmm. Because right. they took out everything. You know, there were yeah. they were military targets, and there were military personnel who were uh, who were part of the the targeting, um, but a heck of a lot of civilians, mm-hmm. right? So then there's a question: Was that uh, did that meet the requirement of discrimination? Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, civilians were being prepared uh, to defend the mainland, right? Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, all Japanese citizens, sure. uh, all Japanese citizens who were not in the military, were preparing to defend Japan against sure. a, a land invasion. So, you know, what exactly constitutes a combatant? And right. so that gets confused. And that then gets some tricky. people would say, I mean, it ended the war. I mean, that that was that, right. that brought VJ Day. So that ended more lives that could be lost. I mean, it's it's a big ethical question for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you talk about proportionality, I mean, we have this reaction of an atomic bomb and you look at the imagery and it's just that doesn't that just seems so over the top. But if you look at the, uh, you know, if you look at the effects of the firebombing of, of Tokyo and other cities yeah. uh, or firebombing in, in Europe, you know, was, is, is it an emotional reaction to one bomb as opposed to, uh, you know, firebombing? And also if you consider, well, what would the, the, the death toll have been both of Americans and Japanese, if uh, we hadn't uh, tried to wrap that up, wrap it up quickly with a, a drop in a couple atomic bombs. Yeah. Um, so I think with, with the bombings there, what I hear coming up more often um, is discrimination rather than proportionality. Really? One more reaction question just from that, because I have not read your book and I'm not familiar with just war theory. I mean, all of the things that you say make sense. I mean, it sounds, uh, it's very, you know, logical. Um, is there a difference between just war theory and a, like, so that, that describes whether your response is just right. Um, that's, it gives description and definition to that. Is there a theory that is a compelled war theory? Like I, we must, um, or is it just a matter of, okay, is my response, is it, is it ethical or not? Uh, versus is there a difference between we have to respond? We have no option. I don't know. That's just my, yeah, that's a really interesting question. So if you have something where you consider something, a cut and dried case of a just war, right? Um, and at least in terms of entering into the war, sure. right? Because um, something can be just, it, but you don't have to be compelled to do it. Right. 
So uh, yeah, if you look at the requirements and you're like, yep, it meets all those requirements and our intention in going in there would be good, but nah, right. um, that, that's a really difficult question. Yeah. And then I think yeah. you were, you pursue that and say, well, what is the reason that you're not entering the war? Right. If you're, if you're Norway and you're like, yeah, it would be just, but you know what, we're not going to make too much of a difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now we've, we've got to invest our resources in whatever, you know, um, you know. That, sure. that would be one thing. Um, if the United States, uh, which, you know, uh, as such a military power, which would could make or break a war, right. um, decided out what, you know, what is the reasoning for that? Yeah. And uh, that that does get into a real tricky issue then. If you, if you if a war is just, should you enter it? I didn't talk about that one. That, that's um, the, uh, maybe for the sequel. Yeah, it's yeah, the next part, part two. Yep. Yeah. yeah, excellent. Should I kill? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Must I kill? Yeah. It, uh, I... I appreciate you kind of breaking that down for us. Um, and th- this whole section in your book is, is really uh, just profound and really kind of challenged me. I, I think one of the things that we can look and we can say, you know, starting with the, the authority that we can look and we can see people that the other governments, our own government, you know, they are the ones who are in place to enact these policies. Um, but you point out that that's not something for the, you know, the layman, uh, or just the average citizen to just say, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to form a militia and we're going to go do this. Now mm-hmm. we're going to go declare war that that has to come through a proper channel and authority. I think mm-hmm. the concern, not the concern, but for our audience, we look at that and we go, okay, so what does that mean for me? Because I'm never going to be in a position where I have to mm-hmm. even, uh, evaluate the merits of whether or not I lead my country into war. Like that, that's, that's reserved for a select few people that I don't even have access to. I am not even adjacent to power. Like I'm just mm-hmm. living my own life as a Christian. And so what I wanted to do with the, the time that we have remaining is, is really kind of look at more what that looks like on a micro level on an, for an everyday person as we live. Um, mm-hmm. Because just as the idea of just war theory has different rules, rules of engagement and, and ways to understand if, whether or not it's proper to, to move forward. I think as Christians, we need to be doing a critical examination of our own beliefs in obedience to Christ and what that mm-hmm. looks like, because I think this is more complicated than we tend to make it, uh, that either we approach, we, we take the approach of, well, I'm going to take the easy way out and just say, I'm going to be a pacifist. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have to kind of navigate around what does that look like in this situation? What does it look like in this situation? And and in your book, you talk about that, that not acting with violence or not meeting violence with violence can expose others to greater violence uh, Mm -hmm. and a greater threat. But then on the other hand, you have people who would take that and say, well, that's right. So what I need to do is have open carry and shoot anybody that I think looks like they might be a threat that I am justified in doing that. I'm protecting my boundaries, whether it's country or my own little home, my own little tiny kingdom that I have. Um, and so I think this is where I kind of want to spend the, our, our last time together, just sort of looking at what that looks like for a Christian and to say, mm-hmm. in my life, I want to critically examine, not just shoot everybody and also just hunker down and just take the, take your beating. Um, so if God does not mandate pacifism, Right. Um, if he allows for Christians to participate in violence, whatever that looks like, how can we employ this this freedom wisely and responsibly? Like, what does that process look like for us? Our examination process look like for us? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, that's a that's a big one. Um, so I would say I want to make one point really quickly uh, that, uh, to touch on something that you said and then get into hopefully uh, a, a good response to, to your question. Um, so you said, you know, most of us aren't in positions of, of making decisions about our nations going to war. Sure. Right. Which is true. Um, uh, but at the same time, I think it's, it's helpful to understand just war theory for when we as responsible citizens enter into political debate and Absolutely. vote and so on. Um, and so, you know, when we have conversations, when our nation is considering uh, military action, I think it, it helps us be more informed citizens. Right. And, and that's a, that's a, an important part of being a, a, a good member of a society. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if we get to uh, sort of the individual level, um, so the, the type of violence that you or I or uh, maybe even Josiah might encounter at some point in our lives, right? Uh, we who are not uh, police officers or in the military. Um, how do we as individuals uh, deal with violence or think about violence in a helpful way? I don't know if you've gotten to this part yet, but um, one of the things that I did in the book was to say, I think if you if you understand just war theory and you take those requirements, I think you can apply a lot of that to cases of individual civilian self-defense. Right. Right. I think is sort of the context that you're, you're asking about. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so if you're looking at the context of civilian self-defense, um, when can I use violence and so on and so forth? Um, I think that there's a real value in in taking just war theory and applying it to me as an individual. So let me give you like just uh, some quick examples. Um, I think first and foremost, if I'm ever going to use violence, I have to use it in accordance with the law, right? This is the whole proper authority mm. thing. Um, so uh, if if I'm thinking about using violence in a way that does not accord with the law, then um, then then that's probably not acceptable. <laughs> Uh, and, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll leave ourselves out of like living in Nazi Germany or some sort of sure. uh, scenario. We as Americans. Um, and, uh, and, and um, you know, we uh, mentioned Romans 13 before, right? You got to obey the government, right? Uh, the mm -hmm. government is there for, uh, for a good purpose. And as long as it's not telling you to do something wrong, obey the government. So proper authority means that I, I need to know the law and I need to make sure that I'm acting in accordance with the law. And that varies state to state too, right? Um, when you get into issues like stand your ground and castle doctrine and things like that. Um, so I think that's one thing, um, you know, in, in terms of a, a just cause, right? So there, there are times that we, we find ourselves in sort of, let's say, road rage incidents, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, someone else is clearly wrong, right? And they started it and uh, they cut me off. I just hit my horn. I have the right to hit my horn. Uh, they don't know, you know, why they follow me. And so you end up in some sort of situation that could lead to potentially some sort of physical altercation. Um, and well, one question is, do I have the legal right? Uh, but then what's my intention, right? Um, uh, what, what is, am I, am I permitted to do this because I'm trying to achieve something good or is this about my ego? So if we focus on the good intention part of it, right? Um, is it, do I want to, you know, I'm legally permitted to, to, to hit this guy, right? Because he's threatened me. He's followed me. Um, he's looks like he's about to assault me. I'm legally permitted. I got proper authority, but is my intention to, kick his ass because I, am I allowed to say ass on your show? Sure. Oh, uh, to, to we'll beat we'll him up. Out. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, is, am I, is my intention to beat him up because he needs to be taught a lesson and it's going to be a great story for my buddies. Um, and, and I got to thinking about this some time ago that there are situations that I've been in where fisticuffs could have happened um, and maybe would have been condoned because the guy was a jerk. Um, but then you think, all right, well, what happens afterwards when he goes home? 
right? Mm-hmm. So I get in the fight, I beat him up. I'm the good guy and nothing happens to me legally, right? I get to teach him a lesson. And then he goes out home and takes it out on his kids, yeah. right? And have I made the world a better place? Um, or was it about me? Is it about me wanting to win a fight? Was it about me wanting to, to feel like uh, Batman? Um, and, uh, and so I think if you, you know, if you, when I, when I started studying just war theory and thinking, all right, how does this apply to me in my life? Um, I found it a really useful tool. Um, and then also with conduct within that, what's proportional, um, when you get into some things like discrimination there, some things don't fit, right. Um, you know, when you're talking about combatants and am I going to accidentally hurt a non-combatant? Sure. Well, firearms are involved maybe, but, yeah. uh, but aside from that, probably not. Um, so I guess the, the quick answer to the, your question, um, is when we're trying to figure out the context of civilian self-defense, when might violence be permissible for me to use? Well, the more I've sort of thought through this critically and thought about it beforehand, um, if I've had tools to think about the morality of violence, then I'm probably going to think about it better and reach a conclusion quicker and act better. Hmm. That's really profound. I appreciate you kind of walking us through that. I guess a follow-up question would be in the situation where, you know, you talked about, yes, you have the authority and you can, you know, you're debating good intention. Um, at what point, you know, obviously in those moments, particularly when, when things are heated, most of us are not thinking clearly. How do we mm-hmm. navigate around this whole idea of, well, if I whip this guy, he may go take it out on his kids. Um, I mean, how, how far down the, you know, if, if we can't anticipate some of these things, are we then, mm-hmm. are we responsible for the, them in some way if those things happen? Mm-hmm. So I think if we look at it that way, um, we're, we're using a type of sort of utility, we're using a type of utilitarian ethics, right? right? We're trying to think what will achieve the greatest consequences, right? So we'll, we'll teaching this guy a lesson, you know, serve the best consequences because then he'll stop hassling people, right? Sure. Um, and, and we understand the logic of that, that this will achieve a, a good consequence. Um, if on the other hand, um, he goes home and takes it out on his kids, that's a bad consequence. Right. And, and the, 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 always the, the big challenge with utilitarian thinking or consequentialist thinking is we don't know, right? We yeah. don't know the consequences of our actions. Uh, the, you know, the best intentions of, of uh, mice and men, right? Um, uh, that we may have good intentions and things may turn sour. So I think, I think a reasonable uh, consideration of the consequences is, is perhaps the most that can be asked of people. And I think there's right. um, there's some to some degree you also want to consider could I achieve the same uh, the same result of we talk about like the guy that's hassling you road rage incident could I achieve that mm-hmm. by a nonviolent means as well um, mm-hmm. so we talk about the ego like if I beat this guy up it's, it's like to some degree the intent might be to soothe my ego but could I also achieve the same the similar alcohol of getting this guy to stop hassling people by like responding differently like a lot of people we we respond to to violence with violence we respond to anger with anger. Um, and it, it is very disruptive to uh, that cycle of like, uh, I'd say like that natural cycle of, of psychology of responding uh, in equal kind when we when we respond with uh, with something different, nonviolence well, yeah. or, or just like communication. And that's the words of Christ. I mean, I, Dr. Man, you brought up Matthew 5 um, and Jesus talking specifically to his disciples before he says, if you, you know, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, give me your other cheek as well. He mm-hmm. does say, you've heard it say, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But mm-hmm. I tell you, don't oppose or resist an evildoer. Like, that's mm-hmm. uh, that's stronger language to me than slap on the cheek, give me your other one. Don't oppose mm-hmm. or resist an evildoer. That's what I'm still struggling with. Like, what does mm-hmm. that look like? Because uh, that mm-hmm. sounds like be a doormat. 
And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. And, and I've said this on a couple episodes ago. I don't know if it's right, but if somebody were to come into my house and, you know, with my women, women or with my women, with my, with, women. <laughs> with my wife and daughter there, we can get rid of that, right? Yeah. Uh, with, with my wife and daughter there, like I would, I would defend. And then if necessary, ask for forgiveness later. Like, uh, you know, because don't oppose the evildoer from Jesus. That's, I struggle hard with that line. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a, another point that that didn't come up earlier. I, I thought we might get into, but this is a good point uh, to bring it up. Is a lot of times when we have these discussions of Jesus and violence and nonviolence, there's the whole love your enemy thing, right? Right. Um, and people are like, well, you're supposed to love your enemy. How can you love someone and punch him in the face, or how can you love someone and shoot them? Um, My dad loved and, me when he disciplined me. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so one of the challenges and we brought this up earlier is violence was never sort of supposed to be in the equation right mm-hmm. in 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 the uh, the in the created ideal violence would never come up but we sure. don't live in that world sure. right right um and so you have a responsibility to love even the person who comes into your house right and, and is going to do harm to you and your family right um but you also have an obligation to love your family right right yeah. and if you're like well who am i gonna um you know and so this, this is the challenge of living in a fallen world, right? Is um, you, you can't just choose to, uh, to love everyone. And therefore that means to treat, you know, to, to not stand up against any sort of threat or to allow people to do whatever they want. And one of the interesting differences in the history of Christianity is if someone's going to, if an evildoer is going to do something bad to you, right? You and you alone, do you resist that person? Exactly. Right. 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 And, and people like Augustine and, and Luther said, no, no. Um, you know, if it's just you, no. But if someone's going to harm someone else for whom you have a responsibility, someone else that you got to love, right? You got to love, uh, um, well, you got to love your your wife and and kids and you have to love everyone else that you come across. And so sometimes doing the loving thing for them means opposing someone who is, you know, trying to do them harm. Um, And so uh, one of the things that I think is kind of tricky is there are other Christian uh, theologians who've said, no, if someone's trying to harm you, you have the right to self-defense because if someone bad is going to harm you, Right. I, I, I don't, you can't tell who I'm pointing at. Uh, so, Tim, if someone was going to harm you and do you harm, sure. right, uh, serious harm. Well, if they do, that's going to harm your family significantly. Sure. Right. So in order and in, in, by virtue of taking care of yourself and defending yourself when necessary, perhaps even using violence to do so, you're also taking care of your family. Yeah. And that's one I've been kind of conflicted on. I, I talk about that a little in the book yeah. um, that. Uh, by virtue of protecting yourself, you're also doing your duty to be a good uh, husband and father. Yeah, and I hear the logic of it, for sure. And here's, I guess, my question, Dr. Mann, to kind of sort of wrap this around. What is required, if anything, of the Christian in regards to violence? Are we we called into violence? Uh, I know that's kind of a very loaded question, and, and I mean, and there would be lots of different instances where we could say, well, maybe here, yes, maybe no, you know, here, but but do we have a requirement, a mandate by God to say if there is um, oppression that requires violence to be met with violence, that we are to step into that? Um, mm-hmm. If it, let's take the, you know, we had the conversation last week that if, if we're on our own and we see somebody approaching us coming into our home or whatever, then, okay, then I will not, uh, strike. I will do what I can to, you know, deescalate and give what is necessary, but, but not meet violence with violence. But when you add people who are responsible to you in that equation, um, Mm -hmm. do you have a, a requirement or a mandate by God to first 
try to settle things with nonviolence. Um, where do we kind of walk this line? And, and, and I know it's kind of a very broad line. It's probably not even a fair question to ask you, but where do you feel that, that the Christian is, is called maybe into violence at times? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's sort of like asking, what is the Christian required to do with regard to poverty? Sure. So we know that, uh, I mean, in some respects, it's similar. In some respects, it's different. But if I asked you, what is a Christian required to do with regard to poverty specifically? You'd be like, um, well, I guess, you know, sometimes it depends on the situation, right. where I can help, what resources I have, how I can extend those resources. And, you know, the four of us might disagree, right? If all of us sure. had a million, if, we, if the four of us had a million dollars to help alleviate poverty, sure. and we're like, ready, go, right? We're probably <laughs> going to reach some different conclusions, Right. Um, so doing the right thing, we all might want to achieve the, the same thing, but what would that look like? Yeah. Wow. That's really hard. Um, and we, and people are going to disagree. And so I think when you ask, um, you know, uh, what, what's the responsibility of a Christian with regard to violence, you know, that people are going to disagree. It depends on scenarios. Um, it depends on resources. And so I, the, the, one of the binding principles that I, I tried to connect everything in the book with was this idea of working towards a shalom. Um, right. All right. Notion of well-being. Right. Um, and the way I look at it, and I do tend to be a, a bit of a utilitarian, is that if we're trying to create the most well-being in the world, um, how do we do that? And might violence be necessary sometimes? I would argue that there are contexts in which, yeah, violence may be necessary to achieve a better world. Um, and, and like Josiah said, probably not as often as we think, uh, it's, it's required, right? I think we have a tendency to go there too quickly and the pacifists are serve a good purpose in terms of saying, you know, whoa, 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 let's consider some other options, right? Uh, cause we can be a little too quick to use violence. Sometimes Um, shalom requires force. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and so when is that, we're, you know, that's, that's not an easy thing uh, yeah. to do. I mean, we, we could probably come up with some nice easy ones, right? Like sure. opposing the Nazis, right? We, right. All, we all get on board with opposing the Nazis. Um, but what about, um, you know, wh- what should we have done in Syria? Yeah. What should we do with North Korea, right? Um, people are going to disagree. And so I think when you ask, you know, what's the responsibility with regard to violence? I don't know. Um, but recognizing that it, 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 I would argue that violence can at times produce a better world. And, and I, I did want to, uh, I'm mindful of the time, so I don't want to talk too long. Um, but we, we've, we've uh, talked here and there about the pacifists and, and um, the people who say that uh, violence is wrong, violence is immoral or evil. Um, and my big concern there is you got to think about the implications of what you're saying when you say that. If you say that violence is wrong or immoral or evil, well, you guys had three police officers on your show a couple weeks ago, right? right. Um, and I listened to that and they sounded like three wonderful people who are committed to serving their community as best they can. Mm. Um, but they've also signed up for a job that necessarily involves violence. Yeah. yeah. And to say, all right, you've taken on a job um, that requires you to do evil things, that immoral things. Um, uh, Tim, you said, you know, uh, someone came and attacked your family. You would deal with it as it came and then ask for forgiveness or try to deal with if it later. Necessary. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the thing is, there's a lot of people who engage in violence and afterwards feel really guilty yeah. because they thought the requirement was pacifism or complete nonviolence. And then mm-hmm. they feel guilty when they violated that, when actually, no, well, there may be times that uh, responding violence violently to a very dangerous situation may have been the loving thing. Sure. 
Well, we really appreciate you kind of walking us through that. This is, I mean, if anything that I think we can take away from this, as we talked about last week, is that this is not black and white, that this is very complicated and that for the Christian to engage in these kind of activities and participate in violence, it needs to be done with wisdom and care and uh, proper evaluation, having worked through some of these issues as opposed to just going, well, this just feels right to me. And, uh, mm-hmm. and God just said, okay, good to go. Um, Dr. Mann, one thing we didn't uh, tell you about that we do here on the podcast uh, very often is um, we like to do a segment at the end where we uh, honor a great Christian person. As we are seeking to kind of look towards how we can be more like Christ, we try to find people in our world, whether current or in the past that we can pull from, that we can say, you know what, here is a really good model. Here is somebody who is kind of carving out the way and and showing us that this is a really strong way to go. Uh, And as we were prepping for this, Josiah asked if he could be the one to to kick it off and and offer this up today. So I wanted to give him the floor before we closed out. Yeah, so I, I just wanted to say, and I'd like to honor you today as our, our good Christian person. Um, I We've kind of alluded to it, but like uh, I, I know Professor Mann, Dr. Mann, Sensei Mann from uh, from Karate, where I, I did a lot as a, as a teenager. And uh, you provided such a great role model to me, both in terms of, of being a karateka, being, uh, being a practitioner of the martial arts, but also in terms of um, being someone who was passionately engaged with um, with religion and with uh, academia in, in general and, and knowing these things. And uh, I, I don't know if I've ever properly expressed to you how much of an impact you've had on on my development and, and how much I, I looked up to you and, and still do look up to you as a, a role model for someone that um, encompasses these, these very disparate things um, and, and does it in a way that is just incredibly graceful thank you very um, so, much yeah, I, I, today i really just like to honor to you and, and and say thank you and so Dr. much man for we want to thank you so much on, for your life. time we're so grateful um, for and your work you so and your wisdom kind of helping well. us navigate through a tough topic um it is incredibly profound and i really look forward to getting more into your work i want to encourage all of our listeners everyone to hop on amazon and pick up may i kill just war Nonviolence, and civilian self-defense by dr man it has great insights and application, and it's done, and as Josie said, in a really, really graceful way. Thank you guys for taking a listen. You know where to find us. You can hop on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at GCP Pod. And if you have some thoughts, you want to talk back to us, goodchristianpod at gmail.com. Next week, we're going to pivot into conversations about what it means to be pro-life. That word seems to be loaded and has a lot of meaning, but we want to unpack it and apply it, not just to the issue of abortion, but what it means to be pro-life in every area and stage of life. We believe each person has dignity and worth, and we need to live that out in obedience to Jesus. And until then, be good. listening to good christian people the podcast today's episode was recorded on monday june 1st 2021 by jeff higgins and tim byer two pastors living in beautiful glen burnie maryland 
If you'd like to hear more of our content, please check us out online at goodchristianpod.com or by following us on Facebook and Twitter at GCPPod.